Well, this is a podcast that's been a while in the making. I'm going to tell you how, how long we started talking about doing this. About three months ago, we decided to do a classic rock album review. Time, effort, time never worked out. Tonight, welcome to River City Media's first ever classic rock r- album review. My dear friend of 40 years, you're old. Mark Cumnock is joining us. Tonight, we're going to talk about this piece of work, something we both loved in 1984. It's Rats Out of the Cellar. Just classic sound right there, Mark. It is. And I mean, we've talked about it so many years, but I'm to say I was an early rap fan is a horrible understatement. I mean, I was into him and I had a EP scratched out of a, a Mickey rat and it was Jakey Lee and it was real rough and I was kind of into it and I kind of wasn't. And then I got the EP and it exploded and I wore y'all out with it. I mean, I was like, yeah, hey, 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 yeah. you're in this band. And like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm like, no, you really got to hear this band. And then I got to see them live before they got big. And I knew they were going to be big after that. They came on the stage, they were open act, and they came out in these fighter coats, you know, like they had the ringside manager, you know, and they came out ready to yeah. fight. And th- they were opening up for, of all people, Billy Squire. And they blew him off the stage. And I mean, oh, they, he, they blew, no, I'm telling you, they blew him off the stage. They had to I, stop I, the show. I assume you saw that in Arkansas. Were you I did. Arkansas? When I when I'm saying they blew him off the stage, they had to turn the lights on. They had pushed his stage, the crowd, and I was in it. We pushed that stage six feet back. People were trying to get to him, and I was like, "These guys are going to be big." And I think out of the cellar might have been two months old by then, and not really anybody was hearing it. And then I think it was just a couple months later after that round and round got introduced on MTV. I felt right, kind so, of honored that I saw these guys before many people did. So let's start there. We both went to high school together. We've known each other yeah. since we we're freshmen in high school. Went to college. Went to college together. Flunked out of college. I did a couple of times. You, you <laughs> kept going back and forth from Arkansas. We were crossing each other's path. Right. We knew each other well. We've been to hundreds of concerts together. But the environment in 1984 yeah. was, um, it was a great scene that was breaking open we were in a small town in tennessee east tennessee which really uh, we were kind of the outlaws for listening to what we did but you like me I, I found this stuff in the back of magazines and tape traders but all of a sudden it was on the the local record store had rap had motley Crue, yeah. and it was just exploding mark what was that like that this music that was kind of our yeah, that's funny you said that. So there was a couple of musician magazines. I was starting to play by then, and uh, the only way you could get music, there was no internet, so you would go in the back of these magazines because we everything around us was country music. Yeah, and I mean I hardcore yeah. country music, twangy, and uh, you know you like you said you were an outlaw if you listened to this stuff. And then, lo and behold, like you said, you would go to the record store, and there would be like one copy of this guy. And we all passed the music around back then. Yeah. And uh, I, I remember getting a cassette from a friend that I borrowed. And, you know, you wouldn't, if it was really good, you paid for it. You're like, hey, I'm yeah. not giving it back. Except <laughs> you know? Right. And it's mine. It's not yours anymore. So, and that's the way it was with Rat. 
one of the guys that we ran around with went to some obscure record store in Florida on vacation and brought it back. He says, I think you've, you'll like this. It's not my kind of music. And uh, sure enough, man, first thing I heard, you're, you, you think you're tough. It blew up. And then I don't know if you remember, we used to listen to these guys on TV. It was a Don Kirshner power hour. Yeah. I would take naps in the afternoon to listen to this hippie show at one o'clock at night. I think it went from like one to five. Yeah. And uh, there was a rumor that rap was going to be on there at the last little bit when everybody was already asleep. Right. And this, that video is on YouTube and it's got Robin Crosby just tearing it up. And uh, Warren Martini is just now getting, he's still got stage fright. And that's about the time I saw him. And like you said, too, the other genres going on was Motley Crue, and they were starting to come out of the woodwork. Right. You know, and it was just like, what is this music? And everybody forgets, we had that new wave stuff on the radio. It was, and it, it, was, was it, it was really a strange time. Now, that you, you, MTV really hadn't completely, uh, it was yeah, soon to it, come. Yeah, I hadn't seen it. It, it right. was soon to come and to break wide open. FM radio was really playing a lot of English pop music, aha, and stuff that I just did well, not like. It was brutal. If you want, if you liked any kind of music with guitar in it, or you know, I didn't even say thrash. We we're starting to hear thrash. Yeah, but it was a bootleg underground stuff. You know, it was like, hey, I got this this tape you can borrow. I'm not giving it to you. It was just a. Looking back, I didn't realize what a change in time it was. To me, looking back, it was just as good. And defi a defining moment is later when grunge showed up, and then it, it it really was, but it gets lost in right. And, 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 I, and, and granted, it gets silly in the next five years with some of the oh, it got stupid. I mean, it, I, I mean that's what grunge blew them out of the water. But I I noticed like when we were we were going to talk about this, I, I did some research just to see you know other people's opinion. And the part that I hate the genre that I hear of it now is glam metal, rap. Yeah is not glam metal early let me say this early rat is not glam metal now post out of the cellar i would probably agree with you but that early stuff the mickey rat and the ep and then this album out of the cellar those guys were rocking it man and when you if you got to see them live if they'd come out just wearing black thrash metal clothes they'd have been thrown in another genre without a doubt Right. Yeah. It, it, unfortunately, you're right that I think they're all, and we'll get into that, the own success of the round and round video, which we'll talk about yeah. their own success actually done this band in a little bit. And, and it, too, it, there's a lot of tragedy. Play. Yeah. And I, I've got some stuff I want to talk about on that too. I've, because I've, I'm still, I mean, I'll say I'm a rat fan, but I'll always put a little asterisk with that. I'm pre out of the cellar rat fan. Right. And rat out of the cellar, I'm starting to teeter totter because I know what the music sounded like before out of the cellar. And I still think out of the cellar is a fantastic album. It was, and I still call it an album, you know, it's LP. Right. It, it was wrote. But, it, it, I like to look at the time that an album was wrote. Right. And, and you find out what's going on. And all these songs, even some of these songs, appeared on the ep uh, i know uh yeah that's, that where, I, was on that's where i get a little lost in the shuffle yeah but it was also 
to say that time too was the arena rock thing was real. We saw, and I'll just give you reference. I know you and I went and seen Errol Smith together. We right. saw Ozzy Osbourne together. We saw Rat. We saw Motley Crue. It was it was a huge scene. About once a month, even living in Chattanooga, yeah. Tennessee, we got a show of somebody hey. of major star power. And you had to see music that way too. That's what people yeah. forget too. There wasn't yeah. around us. It didn't get put on the radio. I would go see family across the country. And as soon as I got to go see my cousins, I was like, put it on your rock station. And they're like, man, what's this guy on dope? Cause we didn't get to hear it here. So you would, I would go hear a band that I knew I was going to hate like Ario Speedwagon. Yeah. I, I don't have anything. I can't even name you one song, but that was the only way to see it. And the, the other thing too, I would go, even if I knew that headline and act was not my stick, I was there to see the opening act. Right. Because they were usually up and coming, and that was a way you were going to hear about somebody. So let's yeah. talk about let's talk about the albums that were released in 1984. Right. There's a ton of them, man. Uh, and I just wrote a few of them down. Uh, Power Slave, which is one of my favorite Iron Maiden albums, are released. Uh, I mean, it's, like, it's a true classic. That is a true classic album. Ride the Lightning and Metallica, which does not break the mainstream, but it's released mm -hmm. regionally. Uh, but it was out there. Defenders of the Face, Judas Priest was huge at the time. When I first heard it, my head exploded. That was uh, a game changing album for them. My favorite, uh, my favorite album of this year probably is Last in Line by Dio. The former Black Sabbath singer was just a great album. Right. And I'll be honest, you know, Randall, when that came out, I actually thought that Dio was on his way out. You know, Black Sabbath wasn't the thing anymore, technically. More like he's just washed up. Man, it was good while it lasted. And when that one came out, holy moly. And the band around him was exceptional. Oh, he, he, he did an Ozzy Osbourne. He got good people around him. And he can write music and the man can sing. Bless his heart. What would become, in probably the next three years, one of the biggest bands of the era released its first album in Queens Rock, Fair Warning, which at some point we're going to, we keep doing this, we will talk wow. about Operation Mindcrime and how good of an album it is. But Queens Rock wow. was breaking, but Queens Rock wasn't to the point, they were still... I think they went on tour with Kiss, if I'm remembering. They it did, and that's you know what I was getting at too. If you had asked me at that tour, who who's Queens right? I'm like, are you what? You know, I'm like, man, what kind of music is that? Is that yeah? That, that's a rock. I, ca I called it more like opera. And then when I really sat down with that album, I was like, holy moly, was I wrong? It's a great Fantastic. album. It's, it's everything's good about it. But uh, you know, rap's right in there. You know, like we're that's why we're talking about it. And that's why I, I don't like hearing glam metal. It's just, eh, they're not, well, and, they're not poison. <laughs> and that word hair metal bothers me. Yeah. So it bothers me too. Let's give the background. Rat is not an LA band. They come out of San Diego, which I later moved to San Diego for a period of time. And that, and Rat was still held in high esteem in the San Diego area. Right. Moved, moved to LA. They cut an EP which has some original success, Mark. And that EP uh, gets re-released at the same time or right after Al the Sailor does. So they've got two albums on the shelves. 
I heard the EP first because of, uh, and I don't know if you remember it, in the back of Cream Magazine. Oh, yeah, that's how I, yeah, 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 yeah. So I got a copy of the EP. Where were you at the first time you heard rap, and what were you doing? So I was actually uh, visiting with a buddy, and it's uh, our buddy Andy. We both know him. He got he got me that tape, and he says, "Hey, I was down in Florida with my family," and I'm like, "Oh, okay, this is great. Yeah, family vacation." He goes, "No, man, I brought you a cassette back. I know you'll like it. I don't like it, but you, I know you will." So I put it away for a little bit, and I'm going down the road somewhere, and I put that cassette in. And I mean, it's, it sounds corny. There's two times that's been a defining moment for me musically is when I heard Cowboys from Hell from Pantera and when yeah. I heard you think you're tough. I was like, what is this? Because it, it was new wave music then, you know, dick, dick, keyboard, monkey on a keyboard. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's a guitar, a real guitar. Wait a minute, that's two guitars. Wait a minute. That guy sounds a little bit like Piercy or Piercy sounds a little bit like Judas Priest, but wait a minute. That sounds more bluesy. What the, what's going on here? And then I play bass. Mm-hmm. And then Juan Cruz here, he, man, he's a fantastic, I can go off on a rant on that, but fantastic bass player. And one of the reasons Rad imploded was due to him leaving. But yeah, where I was at, I was going down the road and I actually pulled over. I was going, I had a great stereo and I didn't want to wreck because I turned that yeah, thing. Dodge dark. Yeah, I thought the glass was going to break in that car. So, and, uh, is it, fair to, is it fair to say at that time, you and I, and Aerosmith was a dead band, but you and I both loved Aerosmith. I love, yeah, so I'll do you another preface on it. I love, still do, early Aerosmith. Done with mirrors is when I'm out. Yeah, when, when before Janie got her gun, you and yeah, I were, yeah. were Aerosmith fans. And I remember you you actually gave, gave me a copy of this album or Somehow you got a copy of this album too. Yeah, I was bootlegging tapes by then. I had a double deck. But you used the word Aerosmith. Are they still some Aerosmith bill in Rat, or were we just so limited in the bands? No, that- I thought about that, man. So you go to the EP, they've got Walking the Dog on there, which is yeah. a Rufus Thomas. You know, I think it was from the 60s, 63. And then they did it. So I thought, I always thought that was a tip of the hat. Tara Smith and the older guys that were ahead of them also thought it was well played. If you didn't, because remember they were trying to get signed to a big record label and Unsigned. they love genres. So, Hey, we can fit them in with the Aerosmith crowd. And I think that helped them get signed because it really doesn't fit their line of work. And that song kind of had a place on the EP. Yeah. But, so, but it did the vocals of anything. Stephen Piercy has a, Steven Tyler feel almost or when he, yeah. When he's going for that upper and he's yeah. just real nasally, he's, he's using Rob Halford and he's using Steven Tyler, which is a great, if you're going to try a style, that's a style to have. The only thing I, the only thing that bothers me with Stephen Pierce's singing style is it's, it's worn his voice out. Uh, it's, it's horrible now. I went and seen rap yeah. and, and I, I mean, I don't. I still love Rat, guys. I mean, I do I still, too. but I went and seen Rat in I think 2007, or they had sued each other so much. Now, oh man, yeah, I think he had to use Stephen Piercy, a former member of Rat, or something. But it was sounded nothing like it. Yeah, um, I, it was I, really, it really was painful. 
to hear his vocals. I got to see him about that genre time time frame. He was early in the tour. He had Puddle of Mud before they were signed. Yeah, they were, yeah. yeah, they were the Fred Durst project. Yeah. And uh his voice was on fire that night. And I didn't realize what he was doing until I did some more research. Because I was a Mickey Rat fan. Because I'm as you know, I'm a big Jakey Lee fan. Right. And when he started playing the Mickey Rat stuff, I was like, Why? You know what? Then I found out they were suing each other so bad he couldn't be touched because he owned the Mickey Rat uh, right. material. So, and uh, he was outside of his tour bus signing and autographing, and he had the Mickey Rat CDs out. And you can find that on YouTube. There's a picture of him holding a whiskey bottle. So, and uh, it is a ton of the it's it's rat. I mean, they've had so much material for that album. That's when I hear that you know, out of the cellars, their first studio LP. I. I this is like I'm. I don't think so. If you throw in Mickey Rat, it's really their second. Well, let's, but let's you know go. that's the truth. That's the fan nerd part coming out. Juan Cruzier said he was already living in a million dollar home on the beach when he joined Rat. So there was some money yes. around uh, this band already. Robin Crosby, I think, is somehow related to Bing Crosby. I don't know. He is, and you know things that are forgotten there too. He was roommates with Nikki Six. Yeah, and then Nikki Six was getting back by Mick Mars. Mick Mars' family is very wealthy. So, and so, also the manager of the band was Marshall Burrell, the grandson of Milton Burrell. So uh, they were money. And right. the band, they say they're from San Diego, but the truth is they're from La Jolla. And right. La Jolla is one of the richest parts of California. So they could fund themselves to go into the studio. Where yeah, Motley Crue truly was dirt poor. They Rat were. They were eating money. With, yeah. And, and with Rat, too, with Marshall Burrell, where it gets lost in the <laughs> shuffle there, too, he yeah. was Time Coast Records. And Time Coast Records produced a very, very high-quality EP. And if you hear that, it's high-quality. You go back to Motley Crue's EP, but when they were just starting, oh, my God, it's like a chain. Mick Mars sounds like a chainsaw uh, because they, did, they didn't have any money to produce with. You, you it's, go it's listen, not in you go listen to come on and dance and compare it to something like uh, <laughs> anything off that ap and you got it so uh not to get we'll we'll get uh knowing us we'll stay yeah, right if, if i don't right. push this forward a little bit so the band gets right. signed they get a hundred and fifty thousand dollars mark according to bohill um the album's producer and Marshall Burrell takes part of that 150000 and he spends it on studio, on stage equipment. And right. Bo, Bo Hill shows up to produce the album, goes to the record company and says, here's my budget, and here's how I spent 150000 The record company goes, well, you ain't got 150000 And according to Marshall Burrell, the band desperately needed stage equipment, and he basically stole some money from the recording budget, right. bought them stage equipment, but later, the record company come back, give Bo Hill $150,000. For 30 days, they record an album that sells $3.7 million. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, so, you know, there's two sides. You know, you look at, and I'm I'm a little jaded here because, you know, I feel like I'm at this 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 era of Rad, I'm a true fan. And I'm playing their music by now. And uh, I'm not, I'll be honest, man, I'm not a fan of Bo Hill. Uh, and I'm probably going to fl flame the internet with that, but it felt like, Hey, 
they recorded with this running clock over their head. And the reason I say that, if you go back to the Time Coast records, and if you go back one more time to Mickey Rat with Jakey Lee, the Jakey Lee era is rough, but it's still polished. It just needed a good producer to push them. So they've got all this material they come into the studio with. That should have been really, to me, a no-brainer. They already know. They're already When I saw them live, they were tearing it up, and they were tight. That was the tightest band I've ever saw. So going in the studio, they had their act together. It just, to me, when you listen to, like, Back for More and all that, it's a little muted, and it feels like a, a, a rush production job. Is it over? It was a fantastic album, though. They had a lot of good material and very, very good players on that on that album. So uh, I'll say it again. I want your opinion. Is it overproduced? No, it's underproduced. Uh, that, in my opinion. Uh, so here's the other bands that Bo Hill works at worked with during his career. Uh, Alice Cooper, once right. Alice goes pop, kicks a very pop metal band. Winger, with a very broad sound. Yeah, uh, Winger, ultimate kind of show pop band. Warrant, ultimate show pop band. Europe, another show pop band. And really, very Mark, good polished band sounding on their album, though. Yeah, it really that 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 style of music. You get Bo Hill kind of forcing a little more cleanness right. into the right sound, and I don't know if that was good. Yeah, and so. When I hear like Winger, everybody, you know, Beavis and Butthead Winger gets, they smash him pretty good. Probably ruined his career. But Winger's a very good musician. I mean, yeah. and he's a fantastic songwriter. And if you listen to his works, it's very clean and polished produced. Yep. This one's not. And to me, the where the boat got left a little bit, Bo Hill wasn't supposed to be their producer. It was supposed to be Judas Priest's producer. And with Stephen Piercy's voice sounding a little bit like Rob Halliford, and I've heard Stephen Piercy sing Judas Priest songs live. Holy moly. He, my head exploded when he did You Got Another Thing Coming. So right. I'm thinking if somebody could have exploited his voice a little better, and then you had Robin Crosby and Dee Martini, I think they should have conjoined a little bit more for that thin Lizzie sound they had when they were playing live. This could have been even a bigger album. So but that's what, you know. Let's start right there and talk about Robin Crosby. The real, oh my gosh, man! The tragedy of this band. Robin Crosby dies in his early thirties. His stage present, Mark. I, you know, he's a great player. Don't get me wrong, but he seems like right. Robin Crosby was the musical director of this band to me. He was the glue of the band when I saw them. So when they came out and they were really, I wouldn't say they're a nobody locally, but they were definitely a nobody nationally at that time. He's 6'5", big blonde hair, and he comes out, and you can – Piercy wasn't the leader that night. It was Crosby. Yeah, and he would kick – he looked like he'd kick your ass. He, he looked like, you know, ex-baseball player, fit, and the man could play. And if you don't – you know, I hear D. Martini, he's very good with the finger and the fretboard, but where I thought Robin Crosby shined, he had a better melodic style. To the point, and people forget this, the man's got a guitar named after him. If you go to Jackson Guitars, it's the king. And if you don't think, oh, okay, yeah, you think it's just a rabid fan talking here. If you're a Megadeth fan, well, guess what? 
Dave Mustaine plays. He yeah. plays the king. He had two more frets to that fretboard. That's he's playing the king's guitar. And so, uh, but uh, a side note there, I'm going to geek out on you. He they, there is the king guitar, but there's the double Randy Rose Jackson, and that's what the majority of what Robin Crosby played because it had that that grungier sound. Right. And uh, Robin Crosby, man, the first four songs on the EP. That's him. Uh, the, the later stuff in Invasion, you know, those riffs were written by him and he gave them to his co-partner there. So, no, nah, and Back for More on both albums, that's him. So here's the important question. The L.A. scene since 78 had been one guitar. Randy oh. Rhodes, Eddie Van Halen, the stuff that was blowing up. Did Rat use two great guitars that what they do to produce one sound that was similar to Eddie Van Halen or Randy Roach. Yes, Robin man, that's I get, a, I get goosebumps thinking about it. So Robin Crosby was a great, great rhythm player. And I've said since day one, if you don't love Eddie Van Halen's lead, he's the greatest rhythm player of his. Oh, Eddie Van Halen is a better rhythm guitarist than a lead guitarist. And he's a, you know, you know, we all know what a great lead guitarist he is. If you'll go back, if somebody's really wanting to dive deep on this, it's on YouTube, thank goodness. There's some old grainy footage of Robin Crosby playing live. Every way he's a great, you know, everybody says, he, well, he was more of the rhythm guitarist. No, he was not. In the early rap, he was clean, sober. They were thin, busy on steroids. Right. They would be swapping back. And some of the filler material that you hear on Out of the Cellar was them playing their live licks back and forth. They only had a six-song set. Yeah. She Wants Money so, is, I think, a jam that they put words to. That was. That was that was their going back and forth on stage. And I and I feel really blessed I got to see that. And that's when so, I really became a deep, deep fan. So Warren Demartini is more the traditional uh, guitar players like Warren Demartini. Like the guys who right. listen to Randy Rhodes and, and 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 that crowd, they really love Warren D. Martini. I was a Robin Crosby. Yeah, guy. Too. He's a, his fingers, his fretboard work is phenomenal. It well, sounds great. So that, I, I don't want yeah, I'm not bashing him, but I'm that I will sound, Mark. It right. is that Judas Priest sound that Robin Crosby gets that drives the music to me that makes rat slightly different. Well, it's funny you say that. So if you want to get in the weeds, they were doing the the muted stiletto right. sound, which Judas Priest kind of broke the weeds and made the path for that. And that's just getting your palm, putting it against the, the body, hitting that string and bringing it back up and muting it. And you can really go fast with that. And it was like pre-thrash. I called it clean thrash. And uh, Robin Crosby with that Jackson guitar with the Seymour Duncan pickups. That's it. That's the sound. And if you notice, 80s guitars are still being played today. Right. I mean, there's a reason. So, yeah, I can go on and on. And there's a, if somebody really wants to dive deep, uh, Robin Crosby's last days, he's staying in a nursing home. And uh, a guy calls him and interviews him. It's sad to listen to. It took me about three days to get through it. But there's a lot of insight of the, sound, the early sound that they had going on yeah. and the songwriting and all that. I've seen that. So anyway, I'm a huge fan of him. So, so. got to pay some bills real fast. We want to thank our sponsors. We're here because of Marion Messenger, iLogic Media, 
These are the people that give our distribution channels. They are the folks that put us out there. And of course, we always want to support our friends, Davis Kessler and Davis, Cherokee Boulevard, our friend Robbie Davis of 3R Sports on Tuesday night. For all your legal need, call 3R, or 3R Sports. Yeah, don't call 3R Sports. Call Davis Kessler and Davis. And again, the Marion Messenger, Mark, they're such a partner of ours. iLogic Media, uh, Draft for the Upside. These people just give us open airspace. We just got to finish, fill. I'm up to five hours. That just leaves me another 163 hours to fill. But those those folks support them, watch their stuff. So let's our five minute opening went 30 minutes. So let's get into the album. <laughs> I warned you. I mean, I'm pretty passionate when it comes to early rats. So. All right. So the album comes out on the front of it is Tawny Katane. At the time, Robin Crosby's girlfriend. That is a great image for a metal band. She'd also been on the front of the EP with the rock white rats crawling up some stockings. That album cover was a attention catcher. Would you agree, Mark? Oh my gosh, yeah. And for those that you know don't know her, she was also in a it's cliche-ish now, she was in the White Snake videos. Yeah, if you want to see early Tawny Katane, she's in the back for more video and she's the girl playing the music in the jukebox yep. very fresh very 80s gorgeous bubbly uh beautiful tom woman hanks. And just passed away which is a shame yeah tom hanks bachelor party uh still yeah i love that movie man i love it, it. it's very cliche but it had a thousand one-liners in it so, so that album that cover sets a tone originally the producer job goes to tom allen which I always had produced a Judas Priest. What do you think this is the same album if we're sitting here? No. How many no, years? 40, 47, 37 years later. And I'm a, I'm a huge Judas Priest fan. And I, this sounds weird. I really don't care for their music. I care for their songwriting and their, and their song structure. And the the dueling guitars. I'm a sucker for dueling guitars. And of course, you got Rob Halford. And uh, I just wonder. And I say that too. I also wonder when it comes to Rob Halford. I'm a huge fan of his band that he had there for a while. Fight. Yeah, and I do like Fight too. Yeah, and if you're a Stephen Piercy fan, you're gonna love that because he kind of did a tip of the hat back to Stephen Piercy with that. And so you hear the influence of that production and you're like, man, what would have happened if, and I, I still wonder that, especially as gritty and raw as the EP was. And some of the songs on the out of the cellar, regardless of Bo Hill still were, you know, lack of communication and all those, they were in your face and uh, they haven't lost anything with time. So, so no, the Album gets made for 150,000, I think we talked about in a 30 day period. The first song on the album is Wanted Man, which is a huge. And Mark, I, I, I think it's proper to say there is no people want to put Rat in a power ballot. Man, get I, out of here with that. I don't know that Rat ever released a power name ballot. Me, yeah, name me the song Back for More. That get, get out of here with that. No, so. One It Man opens up with a back mass drum track that immediately brings your ear in your face. Yeah. As soon as you put that tape in, 
boom, that was the first song. You're like, what is this? So I just want to, I want to play a little bit of that opening for everybody. Yeah, and it's it's killer. And uh, hopefully, I've got my little digital recording here. Let me let me run that back. That's not what I wanted. Yeah. Here we go. Play that again. Man, that really gets your attention. You don't know what Yeah, that, you know, when that came out, too, and I learned a little bit more about it, I thought that was a tip of hat to Van Halen when they were had their car horns, remember? They played yeah. them backwards. And I yeah. thought this was a tip of hat to, to Eddie Van Halen and that group. They, he was a heavy influence. But regardless of that, when I first heard that, I was like, of course, it's just you already got the stereo loud in your car, right? Yeah. So your folks don't hear it. You know, it's coming at you, and you're like, oh, uh, what is this? And it, it delivered. It wasn't like a, a little gimmick in the beginning. I mean, it so, had the bluster and the cockiness in it and the song and the writing. It was there. So let me make a point. In that car or in a home stereo, Bo Hill, one thing he did do is make very sure sure that if you listen to this on a good stereo system, you have a mix that is on the right side, right. Martini, and on the left side is Robin Crosby. And it's one of the real, you can almost fade this album left to right and hear each part individually. I do think that's something right he did in the album because it gives it a distinct sound. But I'll go here. Being a huge Van Halen fan I am, I think he ripped off Van Halen with that technique. That was Eddie Van Halen's Poor man's reverb. If you get a Van Halen album, the early stuff, and you go left, right on the balance, that's how I learned the Van Halen songs. I could go all the way, I think it was to the left, and hear the bass, or I could go all the way to the right and hear Eddie. And I'm glad he did that because the way our stereos were back then, Too dry. You know, the technology is not where it's at. You didn't have compression and all that. It was either loud or off. So, so uh, I think he did a good job on that. To catch up just a little bit. Now let's go on. And, and you know, we've opened the song. I think it has an absolutely earworm quality. Oh, it's, it's of, hooky. Of a chorus. And I want to play yep. just a second of the chorus here. And uh, let's let's take a listen to the chorus. Okay. Mark, that's my favorite part of the album. I think that's the best one. Yeah, me too. Album. So another thing I think they really that really worked out well for them here. If you didn't know who if you didn't know who Rat was and you're with your buddy in the car, the band's kind of making an introduction. First try. If you know, if you I kind of laugh about it now, but if you're a Limp Biscuit fan, you know how many times can Fred Durst say Limp Biscuit? Yeah. They're kind of yeah. rats introducing rat to you. And you know, they're the John, you know, they're cocky. And the video really matched this song. You know, they're yeah. like the Cowboys riding into town, kind of like Pantera at the Cowboys from Hell. They're coming. And that really blew that album. It got and, you. You're going to sit down and listen to it. And I want to I want to go one more spot in this song. While it's not technically the best lead, it, it really fits this song. It I want to play you a 10-second clip of the lead. 
and uh, just just I just think this is the right sound. Now, Mark, I'm going to throw a band. There's a reason you, you like that. I'm going to throw a band at you that you never thought you would hear compared to Rat. But doesn't that lead almost take a Skinner dueling guitar feel to it? And it does, and that's why I like that that lead. That is when Robin and Dee Martini were working well together. Yeah, you got you can hear the finger fret, but then later you can hear, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna really make this this fretboard bring out the dynamic of of the note." And that's Crosby's style. So a little bit more blues with a twist. So I so. gave, and, and I, I don't know if you're ready to give every song a score. You don't have to give it a score, <laughs> but I gave that song a 7.5. I think it's that monster of a song to open an album. It really, that may be my favorite rap song of all time. You know, so, and I, I kind of rate songs, you know, a little different. I would give it an eight. And then, you know, my acid test is, and I still listen to this this music today, but I, if I don't like it, I, with today's stereos, I just fast forward it. Boom! Yeah, I hit the track. Uh, I will not pass this track up. Yeah, it's definitely an eight. All right, so the next yeah. song is kind of a filler. We'll just listen to the open of it. It's a song called "You're in Trouble." It's one of the better. I hope you do the beginning of it because it's um, uh, yeah, kind of the crazy sounds. A lot of bass. A lot of bass. That's kind of Warren Mart uh, or Juan Crochet's. Hey, welcome. Yeah, to so the man, the touch on that. So me being, me, me being the bass player I am, I think gets lost in the shuffle too. Juan played for Dawkin. And it, for if years. you go to Wikipedia and all that, he briefly paid, played for Dawkin. That's kind of not true. He played a long time with Dawkin. He did. And, uh, there's an American Bandstand video with Dick Clark, and it's very early Dawkin. And if you go listen to that stuff, you're hearing it now. And there's another version of this song that was released in the UK and it's early time coast. If you got the early, early time coast for EP, it's on there and no bass is on there like that. There's right. your docking influence. And and you almost feel like he's um he's uh plucking it a little bit, like kind of a slap bass in it, like a flea sound yep. to it. That bump, 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 bump. So what a lot of guys weren't doing then, and this is why I still like his style, although I don't like his annex on the stage. A lot of rat is, and that's another thing I, I still like rat. They do a lot of down picking, which is today our, our thrash. But he's coming back up. So you get that plucky sound. Right. And he's just using compression, which I thought was taking a risk. A lot of, you know, back then the, the, the finger slap back, you know, people forget in 84, there was a lot of the, you know, the Rick James style music. And uh, to hear that on a, on a hard rock album, I mean, I, I would play it for a laugh and it would get people mad. 
And for him to do that on a CD album, that was pretty risky. And it's and it's a good riff that he wrote. It's I'm a fan a, of this song. It's a, it's a good song. It the only thing I would say about this I don't song, like the jungle anything of it. I'm kind of it's like it deserved better words. It deserved to be fully or felled out and and vetted, and it could have been so, yeah so much better. And that's the thing where I, I so I'm going to get on Bo Hill again. I've got the original version of this song and it's Robin Crosby playing a streaming lead. It's through the whole song. His rhythm is actually the lead and Piercy's coming in to that rhythm. It's a totally different sound. And then when Bo Hill got it, they're in a hurry. I know what he did. He cut a guitar part out. And I'm like, well, that's an easier way to do it. One and done. Cause what, Crosby was playing. It was it was out of out of time with that song, with the lyrics, and uh, it was actually hard to play. And they cleaned it up and made it easy. I would rate this song a seven just because of the bass riff. I, I gave I'm it. I gave it. I get. I wrote the best bass riff in rap music. I gave it a five uh, five point nine. Uh, and I just hate. The I words, can see why man. you did. That. I, I just I hate the lyrics. Well, the words in that jungle music in the beginning. I'm like. First time I heard it, I'm like, why did you do that? All right. You ruined so, my song. <laughs> the, no other way to describe it than probably the downfall and the upfall of the band. Yeah. This song was on rock radio everywhere. Uh, Egan, Egan, I got sick of it. Every nightclub. It was and like, please don't. It, it's around and around. Mark, it owned MTV. It owned. Oh MTV. my gosh, man! You had instant rap. You know, here I go, right? Yeah. Man, I'm a rap man. I'm like, man, where were you at the year ago? You know, I loved it and I hated it. I'm glad to see they got the success out of it. I I think it really showcases their musical ability. Um, bringing Milton Berle in in that video, you know, for MTV, you had to have a video starting then about that that time. They nailed that. I mean, yep. they blew that video out of the water with that. That was a great. I mean, they got a Geico commercial making fun of that. It's still it's uh it's, relevant today. I go right. I go I go to a nightclub or a bar now, and round is round is likely to come on as Katy Perry. I mean, it is that much part of pop culture. A good right. song, but not a great song, in my opinion, Mark. A good song. A poppy song. A radio right. and, song. And here I go again. I've got the earlier version of this song, and it's got a lot of Jakey Lee and Les Martini in it. It's got a dude with Crosby in there, and they're really going with the dual guitars. I don't, I know it's kind of heartbreaking to, to me to hear. I, I can hear both versions, right? I do like this song, it's a game changer for them and the in the music scene. As, as I, I always remember, Kevin DeBro of Quite Right said, You know, why would I not want to play Come On and Feel a Noise? It bought me a mansion in LA, right? I'm sure round and round bought those guys a lot of things, and changed their life but and it changed the band did it hurt the band in the long run i here's my opinion and it's pretty strong i, I 
the reason I, I'm bittersweet about this song, and uh, even Robin Crosby talked about it. I call it his death interview, and that's a terrible way to name it, but when he was in the nursing home. They had found out, you know, the money's starting to come in, and they found out that about writing songs, how much more money they could be bringing in. Right, and, and that song was wrote by... I wrote it down because I was actually uh, kind of surprised. I think the whole band shared writing, right. writing credit, right. writing credit on um, "Round and Around." And that's that's a push by Crosby. He's by this time he's still a team player. He's wanting everybody to get along. But if you go down and rat of the cellar, and as a kid, I would see who was writing songs. That was, I guess it comes from my kiss days. I wanted to see if Stanley or Simmons wrote it or freely. So that right. stuck with me. And I'm seeing this, and then I'm seeing some of the different songs that I don't think are that great on this CD. I'm like, wait a minute. And then as time goes on, the stuff starts coming out of the woodwork. They were going after writing credits for, for the revenue. And by the time the next album came out, Invasion, the, the wheels are falling off because of it. Right. Um, Invasion it, was... A million selling album, but nowhere near the size of Around and Round. I mean, the Out of the Cellar. But Mark, here's where I also draw the line. Here's where Randall, the rap fan, says, hold on, wait. I see this listed in the top 50 one-hit wonder bands of all time. And it's not. It's, it's just. So I mean, not. if you listen to the radio in 1985, uh, that song was in strong rotation. Back from More was in strong rotation. Uh, One It Man was in strong rotation. The single Lay It Down out of Invasion of Your Privacy was the ultimate pop radio play song. Even getting into Way Cool Jr., stuff I didn't like. Oh, my gosh. I was out by then. <laughs> it was like, it, 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 even, though, even though we might not like it, to say they only had one hit, is no. alive when you can play 10 songs that everybody's heard from the radio. Yeah, I'm going to go off sidetrack real quick. So you got Invasion with Lay It Down, and everybody said, you know, and I'm going to I sound like I'm picking on Martini again. That was a Mickey Rat song. Sorry, folks. And Crosby wrote that riff. And then Martini, because he's great on the fretboard, slicked it up. And uh, I think that's like what I was saying. That's when the wheels started falling off. Uh, they were starting to try to grab the more of the, the, the writing and we, we'll go down the list of this album. And there's a true happening moment when that happened with this, with this CD and uh, well, it's down the list here of the, when you listed the tracks, it happened and I, uh, it run the band. I, I, I know. What Marshall could have been? was a very strong manager. Let me, let me, he's oh. managed several bands. I don't understand the dynamic that erupted inside of Rat unless it was, and again, I don't want to get in people's personal lives. I don't care about no. their personal lives. But the whole thing with Rob, Robin Cosby, Tawny Contain, O.J. Simpson, it becomes worldwide news later on. It was a sideshow. And it, 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 it's like it broke Robin Crosby. Then it came did. his issues, which I don't care I do care the man is dead. I loved Robin Crosby, but he died tragically, contracting HIV through intravenous drug use. Right. But he, he, that band, when he, when his health took a turn for the worse, it was like taking 
the football coach off the field with the team to me. It did take the football coach off. And, you know, another side note there, when he started doing heroin, it's with when he was with Nikki Six. If you read the heroin diaries, that whole genre, that whole time right there is happening. And, uh, you know, Nikki Six takes a fork in the road and gets clean. And Robin, it was too late. And so, uh, it, it breaks my heart of what could have been. And you're right. He was the coach. And it's funny you said that. When I saw them in the opening act, he was the leader of the band. I mean, there was no doubt. You look, He was on stage right. He's and musical I, director I, of the band. Oh, gosh. I mean, he was. You could tell they were cueing off him what the what to do next, especially the leads that D. Martini was playing. When I saw him, he, he I said it before. He had stage fright, so and uh, didn't open up to later. It's not unusual to have a band like that. You think of Ma- Michael Seckner and the Scorpions. He was kind of the musical director as the rhythm guitarist on stage of the Scorpions. Right. In a lot of ways, I think. Uh, the guy that gets the less credit in Motley Crue, uh, Mick Mars, is the musical genius kind of like behind the music while Nicky writes the lyrics. Right. So you need that guy that's kind of the. It's I'm a band. Gonna, yeah, I'm going to put band's a team. all together. And uh, I've played with some guys that were great musicians and I hated being with them. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, there's you're dealing with personalities. And it, that's something else. This band does have strong personalities. It does. Stephen Pinsy and all those guys, Bobby Blotzer. As Bobby Blotzer said, it was the most sued band that he had been sued by every member of the band at some point. And I think and Bobby Blotzer actually owns the name Murat at this point. So. Yeah. And so, you know, just to touch on one other thing, when you talked about Marshall Burrell, for those who don't know him, uh, if you want to see him, if you go watch the Back for More video, and he's the guy in the cowboy hat pointing. That's him. And uh, he was known to be a strong leader. He always wore the cowboy hat. And uh, they said he was a strong-fisted manager. Yeah. And, and I think coming from the entertainment family business, that it was sometimes just about the dollar, which I yeah. get. You know, it is a business. He threw his hands up with the band at some point, has been right. what's been told. Right. The next two songs is In Your Direction, a good song, not great. She Wants Money, which to me is the worst song on the album. I could differ with you on that, but there's the further you go down, you're like, man, what? Yeah, and that's another thing about this album. It's a, I'm not bashing it. I can listen to my, almost all of it. I but like they, in your direction. Yeah. Don't get I me do wrong. too. And in your direction, I'm here. You know, I'm harping on this again. There's another version of it. And if you get the UK time post, I'm gonna play money just a clip out of your yeah. in your direction. And the opening to me is monster. Yes. I had it queued up for later, but the opening. That's yeah. And we've not mentioned him, but Bobby Blotzer comes up with some of the unfitness drum licks that fit somehow that I've ever heard. Yeah, it's almost like it's bad jazz. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, that doesn't fit there. Okay, I guess it does fit there. And it's funny that you play that opening. So that opening, you hear the uh and the uh and the uh. So if you can imagine, that's what they opened with yeah. when I saw them. 
and they're coming yeah. out one by one, taking off the boxer's coat, and they're ready. And the guitar tech kind of brings, instead of the belt, brings the guitar and puts it on them. And, man, they just go at it. After that, it's like, they, very, I mean, they blew everybody away. A very red and black presentation on stage, too. Right. And right. I think if that had been darkened up a little bit and a little later in life, it could have been thrash. It had the potential for that. And you can hear a little bit of mistake in that because of the King V guitar in there and Seymour Duncan's. But I gave Beacon. round and round a six and a half because I've heard it so much. I'm sick of it. That would have been. Yeah, I agree with you because it hurt them. It didn't have it, in the long run. It hurt them. I gave in your direction a 5.5. I think it's one of the better of the filler songs, but not You're right. great. What, what would you give those two songs? I'm right with you. Uh, okay. I thought, you know, to seeing them live, I knew that was when I first heard it on the album. I said, that's filler. So, you already had. Well, she Wants Money, wrote by Juan Cruzier, is to me, it, it's, it's like, hey, we need us another song. And it's a lick somebody had. Well, so in my research over the years, that's where I was getting at. The songwriting. They, they, they were already making money from the EP and they were seeing the residuals already starting to come in and they were buying cars and everything. And the guys that had the, and they were bragging to each other what they were buying. Right. Instead of, instead of being teammates, Hey, I just bought a new Jag. What? Come on, man. But the guy that got the Jag, cause he had more on the, on the songwriting and, and Marshall Burrell had set up their contract for that. Cause you know, the, the record company's always going to win, right? Yeah. Well, that was another way for them to win. And I hate that song. Uh, yeah, I'm not. It's terrible. I'm not a fan of it either. Now, let's get set. This would flip us to over to side two. Now, I had the, e I had the album. We just finished off side one. I usually yeah. made it through In Your Direction. I did not punish myself with she. I really, I think I scratched. She want money. So, so I, I got to talk about back in the day. So I was so proud of this stereo I had. You didn't have tracks back then. It was still on a cassette. And I had a cassette that could read it. And I could hit the button and it would fast forward a song. I used to drive people nuts that were rolling with me. Hey, I want to hear that song. And I'd hit the button, right? Hey, what happened to it? That song always got skipped. I mean, I, I, I couldn't even tell you half the song. Even today. Hey, uh, my boy, Matt Piotrovich, one of the great guys in the world. Back for more, Matt, has oh my the, gosh. we're about to get to it, has the monster opening. To, I, I, I think that opening scores higher than anything I got. I agree with you. Back for more. And that song right there is why I picked up an acoustic. It wasn't Spanish Fly. It was this song. So, we open up side two, Mark. And again, let me drop my thanks, Matt, for joining us. Uh, let me drop my plugs here. Marion Messenger, iLogic Media, Drafty the Upside, River City Media. Uh, please go like us on Twitter, River City Media 3. Like us on Facebook, River City Media. Go like our YouTube channel. If you like what we're doing, uh, this is a passionate, we are passionate about it. Uh, this Mark, I, we've we know we're going to do at least one more episode now. Um, and would you like to tell what we, uh, the album that we've discussed during oh, the, for the second episode? I get giddy talking about it. I'm gonna be like a little schoolgirl. So I'm huge. 
huge Dimebag Daryl fan. And I've right. got to talk about Pantera Cowboys from Hell. So, life-changing event. We'll probably record again in a couple of weeks. If you want more, again, we're grown men, grown jobs, grown responsibilities, but we'll bring you what you want. So let us know. So side two, we flip over to, and it starts with a song that I, I always think, and it's it's not a story we can tell on air, but there's a certain <laughs> friend of ours. Every yep. time I hear this song, it reminds me of him. But it just, it has a feel of a, a, a cheap, my a gosh, I still, when I hear that riff, I'm like, holy crap. You just played and I got goosebumps. That is a hard driving song. That is a monster, monster riff. And uh, shout out yeah. to her boy, Alvin. Yeah. Um, there's, there, you know, there's a backstory to that song again. It's back to the songwriting stuff. It's, it's, it's even, I think it was in the VH1 behind the music. Juan Cruciate is kind of mad about this song. And I, I did some more reading over it over the years. Piercy was having trouble. You know, he's got a certain style of voice. Right. And, you know, if the song, if the if the inflection doesn't fit, you make you write a different lyric. It didn't fit with he what he wrote. So now they got co-writing. And it kind of started the friction of Juan leaving the band. And it was this song, which I think I'll be honest, I, I kind of lost respect for Juan a little bit because I, I'm thinking it's more about the team here. And that song. If you ask me what's my favorite song on this album, that's it. So it's funny. You love it. In my notes, I want to play a little bit of the chorus. In my notes, I, I made the point. Sure. The chorus and the rest of the song almost doesn't go together. They don't. Now, I, I want to take you through this little bridge. And it, it's like right there. Right there, too. It's almost like we've got a couple of songs and we're trying to piece one song out of it. To make well, it. so from the research I've done with this, they've got the riffs, they got the bass, they got the drums, and Piercy is in the studio. He's really struggling with that. And so you hear that, you hear that Rob Halliford bring, you know, that, you know, Halford can get higher, but he's bringing up that voice. He wasn't reaching it with the lyrics that were written. So that's why it's kind of got that piecemeal sound to it. But I'll be honest, man, one of the reasons I love this song is because it is a little rough. It does, reminds me back of the EP days. It, it doesn't has. have to be slick to be good. And I think that's where Bo Hill missed it a little bit. It has the most Judas Priest feel of Very. this song. I'm surprised Priest doesn't cover this song. And oh. I, I'm a fan of this, man. I, I, it, and two, what opened my eyes with the Halliford Priest feel, when they were suing each other, when I saw Piercy on tour, he did a lot of Priest songs because he could get away with it, uh, you know, copyright-wise. And dude, he nailed him. It wasn't like, oh, he kind of sounds like him. He was singing better than Rob Halliford that night. And I was like, okay. And that's why I kind of, I, I hear the friction they had writing this song. I, I would have let it go. 
if it fits your voice, your voice is an instrument. Go with it. And uh, I love, like I said, I love this song. I can go on and on and on and on about it. This Probably song before. live was one of the monster moments of the show. Yes. And uh, and and I I want to say this is struggling. This may have been the callback to the stage encore before round and around. I don't remember a hundred percent. I just know. I think I later in the, when they were headlining, it was, and I think when I saw them, it was a mid set, and uh, the guys got to take a break, and Crosby kind of was, you know, here he is the leader again. They're having to re re up and retune, and back then people forget too, we were constantly tuning guitars back then. So they went off, and he brought out the acoustic while the tech was tuning his electric. So it was a great song for that. And I always wonder if that was not another reason they wrote that. And also mid set, if you hear a good concert mid set, you're going to have this moment. Right. Uh, Mark here, a question from my boy, Matt. Do you think about Warren Martini using one pickup on his guitars? Did that, that was a unique sound at the time. Well, so I think too, you know, this is where, you know, I'm more passionate about Crosby than Martini, In my opinion, if you remember Eddie Van Halen's Frankenstat with all the pickups. But he was playing two out of phase, was he not? Right. But there for a long time, he's only playing one. Okay. And he was sandbagging everybody. He had the Seymour Duncan off to the side. So I think he was, everybody was trying to get more of that Van Halen sound. And that's another reason I like Crosby. Crosby was kind of doing his own thing. And then when Grover Jackson picked him up with the King V, he definitely was getting his own sound by then. So the one pickup, you know, a lot of guys were doing it by then. I don't know. It's definitely a sound of that time, especially with the Seymour Duncans. I heard, um, I heard Kurt Hammett say one time that you don't change your rig because you date a song. Yeah. And I think sometimes when you have one pickup like that, Matt, that you can honestly, that one pickup sound, I can nail it within a five year period. Usually. Yep, me too. Um, so it really like Metallica at one point went real big and not writing leads into their songs and kurt hammett's point was guys when we don't write a lead into a song everybody's gonna go that's off of this album it all sounds the same nothing's different about it yeah and i you know i can go off we do metallica one time but you know they're kind of rewriting history those guys went to active emg pickup yeah sorry folks you you did you were changing your sound and uh after the black album they were anyway i'm not going there well, we got about 30 minutes <laughs> and uh, we've got the most. Yeah, we got more. <laughs> we've got but anyway, the for more, man. If you're asking me what's my favorite one, other than lack of communication, lack of communication, and then my soft spots for black, uh, back for more. Well, let it play for a little bit. Just yeah, get man. into it. Great lick. Oh, man.
first, let's give a score to lack of communication. I gave it a seven. Yeah, I, you know what I'm giving it. I'm giving it nine and nine and a half. I, oh, I, awesome. Um, to me, back, it's her. It, 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 it could have been thrash. Back from more the guitar opening the. It is the most complete classic rock song on this album. This yes. is a piece that you can put in a vault and it's going to be good 20 years from now. It was good then. I don't think, in, in my judgment of an album sometimes, Mark, I, I think when you listen to it, how dated does it sound? Yeah, me, it, it can happen quick. Yeah, uh, Round for Round is very dated to that period. Back for More is not dated. It could have been 1984, 1994. It is a very classical wrote song, great lyrics, great video. My, um, I had been a rap fan, but that, that 30 seconds I played right there is probably when I became a super fan. I love this song. Yeah, so, you know, I talk about the EP. I got sucked in when you think you're tough. And I was like, man, great. These guys, you know, and I was I was hungry for something hard rock. And then when I heard that, I was like, wait a minute. These guys are better than what I thought they are. And uh, the deep cut on the EP to this, I'm glad I got two different versions. And normally I don't say that the EP versus this album. I'm glad I got two different versions. And, too, well, I'm a Robin Crosby fan. I get to hear it play twice. So. I, most of the things that were crossed from the EP to out of the cellar, I prefer the EP version, but back from more, I actually, I can take either one, this version. Yep. So let's break this down just a little bit live. It was a monster. Um, Robin Crosby kind of, this was his spotlight and this song. And uh, it was really special, man. I heard this song on the radio about six months ago and I have my 11 year old daughter who's a little metal fan. Yeah. She is. But she really does not like dated music. She hears this on the radio and she's reaching over and cranking it up. She don't know that if it's released now or then Right. it's timeless Mark. Yeah. And I was blown away when I saw him. So they had a guitar stand with this acoustic out there. Kind of right. like I hate to see like the free bird set up the hat on the stage. I'm like, yeah. And I already knew the song, and I'm thinking, what is this cornball? They're gonna pull out some cornball. No, they did not. Robin Crosby really got to shine right then. I even remember the red lights they had on it. It was an amazing. I'm glad I got to hear it. I'm glad I got to see it. So anyway, I can go on and on, man. And I still, when I pick up my acoustic, this is the first acoustic song I always play when I'm warming up. Uh it, it is like if you go over to the record shop, they got a sign up that's a joke that says yeah. stairway to heaven. Yeah, no stairway and maybe no back for more. <laughs> when you go to the acoustic section, they need to put up no yeah, more. No, no, yeah. It is the first lick so many people learn. But what I like is you think the song is going one direction and then the electric comes in and Blotter comes in and it just gets a real heavy vibe. Yeah, you know, and I got stuck in when I first heard it. I was like, oh, this is going to be the power ballad, you know? And I'm like, wait a minute. This is not a power ballad. Uh, it was, That's it, off to them for not doing a power ballad. Uh, and 
and this was this is a moment where rat gets to be a little different than everybody else we've already talked about the other bands out i don't know that this you know i can take any song off of any album and come up with an example of it can you come up with back for more anywhere yeah, else they only want, so here we go right it's you know it's back to the rat influence and the mickey rat influence the only thing my ear hears it's very similar to that is killer of giants on ultimate sin on ozzy's album if you remember that acoustic where it's he's chugging the chords out yeah cross this is why i'm a fan of crosby too he slowed all that down and made it very methodical melodic and uh, it's it sounds like a simple riff and i think and I, I still say the way it was recorded is a simple riff when i got to hear it live it's not a simple riff there's right. a lot of feel he played I think Bo Hill told him to hurry up and get out of there. And uh, I think that got lost. And I, I, that's one of my, if I could go back in time and we all had camcorders, I'd sneak into a rap concert and record what was really going on. So, so let anyway. me plug one more thing here. Tomorrow night at 10 o'clock on iLogic Media, the other angle with Chappie and Randall. Mark, we, we talk about sports in a different angle there. So kind of like we do with music here. So, uh, I thought the lyrics were great, but they're very simple. Uh, but they but are. It's, it's a turn of a word. Uh, and I want to read a little passage. You gave him an inch. He took a mile. He made you believe your society's child. You get in his new car. You get into style. I told you this way. He won't take you far. Is that Robin Crosby writing something to Tony Contain? Because that's the way I read that. That's why I always took it, and from about the time that that was getting bigger, they were starting to to break up. That you know, you, you mentioned the OJ era, and then she went to you know later to, to David Coverdale or Field, whatever his name is, and White Snake Field. I'm going with the musician, but yeah, there they had they had strife back then. Yep, and it, it kind of reminds me of the Kiss song too. You know, Do You Love Me? Yeah, it's not the glamorous rock and roll sex and drugs and rock and roll i mean it's corny and it's not like a heartbreaking song but for that era for somebody to write a lyric like that and that's why i kind of think rat kind of missed their boat they could have if they showed how good musicians they were and let the egos get in check we could have right. had some more incredible music so but yeah i think it's a tip that to her actually the whole time i gave and you know another side in the back for more video they weren't together then. He brought her back to help make her famous. He still he still was aching for her. He, She's already um, dating other people, by the way. You you hear his behind the music and you hear her story, and you really think these are two people that loved each other that got caught up in the LA lifestyle, greed, fame. Yeah. Um, but they had been together since high school. It was like one of those true romance stories. So yeah, they were high school sweethearts too. So yeah. you know, you kind of had that young love going too. And then if you read, you know, quips from his obituary era, she she was still loving him. Yeah, and that, you know, that's actually kind of sad. And, Got and that Alice in Chains feel actually. It, it's sad that at fifty nine, she died just recently. Lost her father a lot two weeks earlier. And they asked her brother why right. she passed away. His, our brother said she couldn't live without her dad. It, it seemed that her dad 
was a huge influence on her and she lost Robin Crosby lost, you know, it, 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 there's a, a lot of sadness to Tawny Katane's life. And, uh, we've lost Mark. Uh, let me see if we can get him back on here again. Uh, hold on just a second, folks. Uh, can you hear me? You got to love the internet. Uh, hold on. Let me remember. You got to love the internet. <laughs> there. That's about the smoothest we've ever gotten back on. Uh, I gave this song the highest rating of any song on the album. I gave it a 9.5. So, yeah. I'm, you know, I don't give things 10, but I'm like 9.5, 9.6. If you if you tell me to hey you got to choose between lack of communication or this one okay whatever They're both of them all right one more question from my boy Matt for you Mark was Bobby Blot and I I'll, I'll take this one too here a little bit I think Bobby Blotzer was an underrated drummer and here's what I liked about Blotzer I I love and and I guess the most comparable drummer that I can come up with to Blotzer is probably chad smith of the red hot chili peppers yeah he plays these licks that are freeform jazz that that just doesn't make sense sometimes but when you hear it in the whole context of the album um you hear it makes sense also i'll give you another thing bobby blotzer seems to be the one guy that was in this band that has a little common sense and seems to yeah. have saved his money and spent it well and he owns the name right now and still plays well. I actually saw him on TV playing with, I don't remember who it was here a while back, and he was still playing well, Mark. What's your thoughts on Bobby? Yeah, Bobby? I think he's underrated too. I also think he's a good businessman. You know, he filed bankruptcy to save what little money they have left. And then on top of that, something that always impressed me, I'm not like going to say I'm a huge fan of his work, but what always impressed me he was always striving to get better. If you listen to the later albums, he's the only one improving. Uh, his sounds better. He's more dynamic. He's tighter. He's still he's still got that jazz mode going. But he, he every album he's getting better. Now, yeah. now granted, there's triggers and there's backtrack and they got click track. But you know, regardless, he is getting better on each album. And uh, to me, that's you know, I'm a fan of Dawkins. If you ask me about Dawkins. Dawkins constantly got better. And I think he was the only one in Rat that was getting better. So, and, before uh, we get I, on, I, 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 yeah, I agree. He's underrated. I want to play one more thing before we get off back to more. We have three more songs to cover. That was a great five, question. Five minutes apiece. But I want to play you this section, Mark, and, and I want to get your reaction. Make sure I got the volume up this time. I'm struggling with the volume. Here we go. Love the way they come out here. Love it. Monster. You come out of that great 
lead riff to a perfectly syncopated harmony. Oh, just great. But that lead is just monster. Yeah. And you've so, you know, that's where this kind of, you know, looking back in time of what could have been this, this, that solo actually kind of breaks my heart a little bit because it's Crosby and Martini playing and seeing them live when they didn't have a big set, they really extended that solo section out. Yeah. And they had a lot of material they could have used. I, I really thought the band shined when they both played the, the solos. And uh, you got different styles. You got to hear the bending of the string versus the speed. Anyway, I love that solo. And I, I think it shows their teamwork when they were hitting on all cylinders. Well, we're about to get into Great, yeah. the The next song is probably the last one that I really am a fan of. The We've had the two monster songs. And I, I, I like this song. Um, I just... I, I think it's really upbeat, but the morning after is just a, you know, it's a good rock and roll song. It's not great. It's just rock and roll. Uh, I remember it being live. It was kind of stuck in between some of the hit songs. And uh, what do you think of the morning after? I hate it. <laughs> I mean, I just hate it. I was like, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, okay, I, I keep sounding like a broken record now, but I know the material that they had with Mickey Rat and why they didn't go to the well and dig. I guess you didn't want to shoot it all out there. I just don't like this song. I think it was just... Uh, let's, I, I like some of the riff work. In it. Let's rate the next three songs because they're, I struggle with these three songs. The Morning After... I'm insane and scene of the crime. Rate those three songs. Fives. Oh, Being generous. Mid-order. Okay. Yeah. So like, let's just, you name them out and I'll call you a number out. So like it, the morning after, I'm actually going to give that a four. Okay. I the, do not I'm like it. I'm insane. A five, and what kills me, you know, Robin Crosby had an earlier band, and they recorded this song, and they knew what that song was supposed to sound like, and they did not nail it. His original band has got a great version of this. I give him four and a half. Scene of the crime. Is a crime. Uh, the worst song <laughs> I hate it. It's the worst. I would. I, not, I can't listen to it. It's it's bad country writing. You know, it's. It's in the crime. It's a felony. It's horrible. I would go morning after I'm insane scene of the crime would be my order. And I gave morning after, and I like morning after. I like, I, I can tell you what I like about it. I think it's one of Martini's stronger moments. Uh, there's some nice finger picking in there, some nice riffing. Uh, I'm insane. I understand what they were trying to do. And it didn't work. It didn't work at all. Scene of Crime is absolutely horrid. I don't give a it, It's Cornball County Fair. <laughs> it's Blake like Shelton lyrics. It's I can't like say bad about it. Bad war song married a bad poison song. Yes. And, you know, real quick on the, you know, the morning after where you hear the, the guitar go back and forth, that was part of their, their live stage trading licks back and forth. Yeah. Between Crosby and 
and the the martini. And I think that's how that song got wrote. Hey, we got these riffs. What do we do with them? They should have stayed in the vault. And uh, but scene of the crime, I I could do a whole show on how much I hate that song. Uh, yeah, me too. I mean, the lyrics. Just read the lyrics one day. It's like Doctor Seuss. So, so you asked. Oh, I'm with you on that one. Do you think sometimes bands? And I, I'm telling you, this is probably one of my top 10 albums from that period. Oh, definitely. But It's in my car right now. About two or three stinkers that I went on a bad, I don't want to hear this anymore. Matter of fact, I made a mixtape of Rat, and I can tell you, off of this album, um, Morning After made my mixtape. I seem to like it more than you. Back from more, Lack of Communication. Uh, in Direction, Round and Around, You're in Trouble, Wanted Man. So there's four songs left off. And that, yeah. You, you it's killer. I, I, I would, I would, if this album had four better tracks, just C tracks, it might have sold 10 million copies. But that's what, and that's what, that's what kills me, man. Maybe it was Piercy and them not getting along already. And he was sitting on all that Mickey Rat material. But if you go find that Mickey Rat where he's got the whiskey bottle on the album cover, it's kind of going to make you mad a little bit because, you know, they're, they're demos, they're rough, but they're pretty polished and they're almost like 90% done. And you're like, why wasn't that on the album? And why? What, and be honest, why in an Invasion of Privacy, why wasn't that stuff on it? They, they'd have been unstoppable after that. But I think the songwriting stuff got in the way. And so, uh, if you look at the crappy song, it's got some people on there that came came in and out of the band a lot. So, so I think you could not a fan. I think you could have took four or five songs that was already wrote that ended up on Invasion and put it on this album, delayed Invasion by a year, and wrote this album out for a much bigger touring cycle. Just yeah, and so you know. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I look at Metallica for that. If you remember the Black Album Tour, they toured, what, for like three years? Yeah, wore it out. I saw them twice. Right. I saw them twice. And like, there was a long time in between that. I'm like, these guys are still on tour? And uh, I think that's what these guys should have done. I and uh, ride it, you know, ride it on the bus, do something. But no, these last songs, I was like, you're wasting my time. Still a good album, though. Great album. And if you remember back in the day, not an album was a risk. It'd have one good song and like eight horrible ones. Uh, you You're get, like, why didn't I just buy, you buy singles back then? Yeah, you got six good songs. I guess. Again, we lose Mark. Um, a little internet problem. Let me kill his feet here. And uh, there he comes. Oh, man, you're just not one. I'm here. So, Mark, we got about five minutes left and we're out of time. It's going to signal us off here, but one more. Let's get to uh, that. Pretty much finishes right. I want to overall, we've talked about the good, the bad album. Is it a must have? What is it in your opinion? The, to me, this is a must-have CD. You got to have it. 
it is definitely it definitely leads to something that inspires a lot of bands yeah and you know if you're going to just like buy an album from that year it would be this album ride the lightning and probably priest yep and you you'd have a pretty good setup so so yeah i think we we we've, we've built this one uh, up and it's been great and the reason we did this album folks it's not a one hit wonder we'll be back we don't know if it'll be two weeks or a month we'll see what this does and see what mark's schedule holds or but i want to i want to go ahead and tease the next video hopefully in a couple of weeks is going to be pantera's cowboys from hell a game changer again mark It's this uh, album that, you there, buddy? I can I can hear you. Okay. Just give me a couple of quick comments about Cowboys from Hell before we go leave tonight. Yeah, so if I heard you correct, I'm, I think I'm hoping it's not my internet connection. Uh, but anyway, for this album... We're losing Mark. Sorry about that, everybody. Stay with us. He'll be right back. And we'll give you a couple of seconds on Cowboys from Hell. And we'll call it a night. I'm uh, sorry about that. It's been a little bit of internet trouble. We've got a little rain in the area right now, and I'm wondering if it's knocking Mark out. But, again, you're listening to River City Media. This has been the Classic Rock album review. Uh, so I'm back. Mark, I think it. I think it is on your end, and I, I just think we're dropping my cell phone signal. But anyway, give give me uh, a little more. Give me a, give me one minute on Cowboys from Hell. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I can't. <laughs> oh my god! I mean, first of all, you got Dimebag Daryl, who's getting banned from guitar contests, and they're a disco band. And then they make their lead singer and everything changes. You know, you got Rex Brown, who, in my opinion, great backup bassist. The, right. Their drummer, man, the brother. He's incredible. The, the deep lyrics. And then, man, you've got Dimebag, man. Are you kidding me? The pig squeal. Ace Freely influence that's been just put up on steroids. And the album, there's not a, to me, there's not a bad song on that CD, dude. First time I heard it, my brother played it for me. I didn't sleep that night. We stayed up all night listening to that CD. I mean, it was a game-changing event for me. Let, let me tell you why. It's just incredible. Well, this is a game-changer for me, and, I, and I'm going to be very honest. Uh, I haven't listened to Pantera probably since Dimebag Daryl died. It was right. very I really, that whole murder on stage, it kind of, it kind of, it, it got in my head a little bit, man. And I don't know why I thought, you know, I just was like, I'm a huge Pantera fan, but I just kind of set the band aside. So I almost yep. suggested to you beforehand, we do Cowboys from Hell. I listened to it a little bit today. I can listen to this album with such fresh ears, Mark. I'm very excited to listen to it oh. over the next couple of weeks and just reacquaint myself with the music. Yeah, it, it's an incredible piece of music. Uh, 
And, you know, you say game changer. They, those guys didn't change, man. They did what they wanted to do. They played how they wanted to do. And the thing that got me, every album that came out after that got harder. You're yeah. like, man, bands don't get harder. These guys did. I mean, you, you hear the first album, go, and you go to the last one, you go, hey, that first album they put out sure is a good, easy listening CD, isn't it? I love it. It's just incredible how how hardcore they were. And it's, it, it doesn't surprise me that they did flame out. Cemetery. That was a lot of energy. Is maybe my favorite Pantera song of all time. So, And, you know, side note, too, the sad part, his gravesite and his brother's gravesite, they've had to fence it off. Yeah, what are you thinking, people? What are you thinking? We'll get into all I, that. I understand it a little bit. You know, you want to see him, and then, you know, people being people. It's sad. And, and you know, Phil Anselmo's uh, total destruction inside. Uh, I went and seen Phil Anselmo and down, and it's like, come on, dude. You're not right in the head anymore. So we'll have a lot of fun with it. Mark, um, I got about 50 seconds. What's your final word on rack round and round? And what did you think of the experience of doing this? Well, my, 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 my 30 second, here you go is if you don't own it, you should, um, not for the genre, not for the glam metal. There is some very good guitar work on it. Right. The, uh, if you listen to the good songs on it, there's a, if you, if there's just some great songwriting on it. And, uh, it's just a shame how it went after that. And so this this is the CD album to get because after that, the ego has gotten away. Right. So get the EP, get this one. To me, you're done. Now, you know, I hear other rap fans go, oh, yeah, this album, this album, whatever. This is it. Don't get Wakefield Jr. It sucks. Mark, what did you think of the podcast? Hey, real quick, listen to Wakefield Jr. should hurt your credit score. That's yeah. all I got to say. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you think of doing your first podcast? It's a lot of fun, man. I like it, man. man, you know how I am. I'm like you, man. I'm very passionate when it comes to things that I love, and music is one of the things I love. Yeah. And I'm hoping that we have to share it with somebody else. Yeah, this is great, man. I There's love. I've started River City Media over 90 days. We will break 40,000 interactions sometime this month. Uh, it's been a huge huge support outlaying from friends and family. But what I really enjoyed about this, Mark, uh, I talk sports. You've known me since I was 14 years old. I'm, I'm Randall. Yep. This guy. But you also know the other side of me. We spent hundreds and thousands of miles in an old El Camino going to see shows. And I was trying to think of all the shows we saw together. No heat. Yeah. <laughs> No heat, no headlights, but I got, I got a ticket. Yeah. <laughs> fuse is blowing up, stopping by the fuse, putting it in. We got to get there. Uh, we saw, we saw yeah, starting our sophomore year at high school till you moved to Arkansas on a permanent basis. I would doubt we saw 75 concerts together. It was a great time. And it's great to be here with an old buddy and get to share something we love. And, you know, I still listen to those bands too. And I still love it. Well, it looks like we lost Mark this last time, but I'm going to go ahead and sign off for the night. Hold on. We'll bring him in. Say goodnight. Come on. Well, I'm here. Yeah, we're
And it's so it's warm here. Give me your last words for the night. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, next time I, I've got, I can go get on a fiber office and I will make that happen if it's online. It's raining at my house. That may be the problem. Uh, everybody, we appreciate you watching. Mark, let's try to do it in a couple weeks and uh, get back on here and, and, and do this again. I'll be in contact with you. Keep dropping you out. Thank you, Marion Messenger. Thank you, River City Media. Owned by Emily Cunningham. Uh, thank you, Draft of the Upside. Thank you, Biologic Media. Thank you, Psychotronic uh, Frog Radio Station. Uh, a lot of places, man. Mark. Buddy, I enjoyed it. Have a great night. I think you're right. Well, Randy, I, I appreciate it, dude. We'll see you soon, brother. Stay here, Mark. <laughs>